heavy and felt our hope was lost. He called his stallion to a halt and cried out to God. And he cried, Oh Lord, save my soul. Forgive me for all the wrong I've done. Oh Lord, make me whole and cleanse me in the blood of his precious Son. As he continued, he rode into a town Saw a little white church and heard a choir singing loud As he walked through the doors, he fell upon his knees Tears filled his eyes and he cried, I have believed And he cried, Lord, save my soul Forgave me for all the wrong I've done precious son Somewhere working for my Lord I'll be somewhere 
be somewhere working for my Lord. I'll be somewhere working. I'll be somewhere working. I'll be somewhere working for my Lord. And the calls me, I will answer. If he calls me, I will answer. If he calls me, I will answer. I'll be somewhere working for my Lord. I'll be somewhere working. I'll be somewhere working. I'll be somewhere working for my Lord. I'll be somewhere working. I'll be somewhere working. I'll be somewhere working for my Lord. Highways and hedges and the highways and hedges. Highways and hedges. I'll be somewhere working for my Lord. Amen. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall be moved just like a tree that's planted by the water. I shall not be moved. Golden hallelujah, I shall not be moved. Golden hallelujah, I shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the water. I shall not be moved. Burdens heavy, I shall not be moved. When my burden is heavy, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the water, I shall not be moved. When the
service we've already had, what a wonderful week we've already enjoyed, looking forward to tonight and yet tomorrow night, praying God will continue to bless these next two nights in a very special way. Uh, before we go any further and I take up more time than I need to, I want to go back to the Lord in prayer, once again ask God's blessing upon this service, upon the speaker, praying God would just be gracious you might feel the Spirit of God in this place tonight. That's what I want. I want you to feel God's Spirit. And I want you to know that He's in this place. And I want you to feel what the Word of God is saying to you. May God direct your heart. May God direct your mind. May God give you the faith, if that's what you're standing in need of tonight, to be saved by His amazing grace. Amen. Brother Joey Lyons, would you ask the blessing upon our speaker, please? Brother Joe Collins, you've got to preach what the Lord's laid on your heart. Open your Bibles over to the 16th chapter of the book of Luke, if you will. Luke chapter number 16. We are thankful to be back with you tonight. It'll be my last night here. You don't have to put up with me anymore. Who's preaching tomorrow night, brother? Brother Matt. Oh, okay. Well, you'll be in capable hands, Brother Matt Stepp. Uh, but I had a wonderful time. You're very easy to preach to. And that makes a preacher feel comfortable uh, when he's not at his own church, when he comes out 
to visit churches. I've been in some churches that is not too comfortable, to be honest with you, uh, so that you're very easy to preach to. And so we're thankful to be with you. Thank you for your thankful for your pastor. We love him very much. I don't know of anything we can argue about. Uh, we just we just think alike on a lot of things, and so I'm thankful for that. Love to hear him preach. You know you're blessed. Now I hope you will be tolerant of me tonight. Uh, and, and if I move, do I mess you up back there when I move over here? Can you still hear me? All right, because I may move around. If you tie my feet, I can't. I can't think. Uh, but I hope you'll be tolerant with me tonight. I uh, want to go ahead and finish up my message from last night. I brought a nicer one. Uh, I did. It's much more pleasant to preach. But I want to go ahead and finish up. My thoughts, last night we preached a message, hell is waiting to meet you. Very difficult subject for me personally, and I did not even get halfway through it, but we'll try our best to finish up some thoughts, some broken thoughts tonight. Let me, let me just talk to you if I can. Uh, uh, Brother John can tell you, and uh, by the way, i got some scriptures here, I I'm not very good at using notes. I mess up, so I'll take these with me. But let me let me tell you a little bit how I came to that message. Uh, mentioned it briefly last night, but Brother John, I'll tell you, there's certain messages that stick with you more than others. You know, when you preach to the same people three times a week. And sometimes it's a struggle to make sure you're not saying the same thing over and over again. Ding, dong, dong, ding, you know. But sometimes the message feels like it's for you more than it is for anybody else. I came away about between 1.30 and 2 o'clock in the morning here a couple weeks or so ago. And got thinking about my boys, and I do that fairly often. And if, if God brings them to your mind, you pray for the, my boys. Adam and Chris, their name. One lives out, out in uh, uh, where he lives, uh, out in Oregon, Portland, Oregon, and the other one is in Colorado. Uh, I have a good relationship with them. I'm thankful for that. We still talk frequently. But you pray for my boys. I, I lay there and I thought about this and I was thinking about my boys. And I, I have to say, I have never seen two boys do an absolute 180 degree turn from everything they have been taught their whole life. And they had a good childhood. We had, they were not any problem at all. They were straight A students. Took it after their dad. Uh, <laughs> They, they were hard workers. They took a job very quickly and, and uh, earned their way a lot. I didn't buy my kid's car. I couldn't afford it. And so they had to work and get their car. Uh, so they were good boys. But they did a complete 180 degree turn. They are for everything we are against. 
And they're against everything we're for. Never seen anything like it in my life. And so I lay there, and Belinda and I will pray for our children quite often, and we'll start to cry. And I told Brother John this today. I, I told Belinda something one night as we was laying there crying, and I, I said, you know, honey, we, we believe in election except when it comes to our own children. Tough thing to say, isn't it? But I tell you what, I have more confidence in a sovereign, merciful God than I do in their ability to choose Him, which they cannot. But I, I lay there and, and this subject came to my mind. And I know that if God doesn't intervene in their hearts, hell's waiting to meet. That's a hard thing. Now let me say something to you tonight. If you're a lost, I, I'm speaking as a man. I want you to understand me here. I, I'm speaking as a human. Uh, I know the other side of the coin. But I've never, humanly speaking, I don't see how you can sit under the sound of the gospel. And I know this man, I know his heart, I know what he preaches. I know about the depravity of man, I know what the Bible says, but I just think like that. How in the world can you sit there, service after service after service, and still walk out? in rebellion, refuse to believe and repent of your sins. I think like that. Don't you dare doubt that if you continue in the direction you're going, hell is waiting to meet you. Now, we, we took our text out of Isaiah chapter number 14, lest you think I'm kind of nutty here when I say it like that. The Bible actually says that. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse number 9, uh, the Bible says that hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. Now think about that. Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. In other words, hell is waiting to meet you. I read about these two preachers one time. And by the way, I don't take joy in preaching on a subject like this at all. But these two preachers one time was called to this church that was looking for a pastor. And they called them there on the same day. And they both were scheduled to preach. And so, and both of them preached on the same subject. Both of them preached on the subject of hell. After they finished, they, the men of the church that told the second man, he said, listen, we have decided that we, we appreciate you coming, but we're going to call the first man. And, and the second man said, well, uh, that's fine, that's well and good, but why is that? We preached the same message, the same subject on hell. And, and the man said it like this, he said, well, when you preached on hell, it looked like you was enjoying yourself. But when he preached on hell, he wept all the way through it. We, we, we looked at Proverbs chapter number 27 when it says hell and destruction. In verse 20 it says hell and destruction are never full. There's always room for more. There's always room for you, you see. And hell and destruction are never full. 
We, we, we also looked in Isaiah chapter 5 where the Bible says that hell hath enlarged herself. Now, I don't think that means by any stretch of the imagination that hell's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The idea, as I said last night, is the Bible talks about the pit or the abyss. It is a place of unlimited capacity. Now, that, that mystifies us. It boggles our mind. It ain't no problem with God. Hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. So, so last night, all we did really was introduce our subject and, and, and got through the first point or so, almost, not quite. Uh, but we talked about hell being an actual place. Listen to me. Hell has not been invented by religious minds to kind of scare you into being good. Hell is an actual place. And it is right now 10 minutes to 8, and there are people in hell right now. Hell's an actual place. Now let, let me give you some scripture. I, I have these jotted down, uh, but just to show you, listen, the Bible actually talks more about hell than it does about heaven. Sure does. For example, in Psalm number 9, I, I may have used this last night, the Bible says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all nations that forget God. Right. That's what it says. Uh, in Psalm 55, verse 15, Let death seize upon them, let them go down quick into hell. Isn't that a frightening thought? Let them go down quick into hell. Proverbs chapter 9, but he knoweth not that the dead are there and, 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 and that her guests are in the depths of hell. It goes like it. Book of Ezekiel chapter 31. I cast him down to hell with them that descend into the pit. You go to the New Testament. Our Savior said this in Matthew chapter number, Mark chapter number 9. If I write, if I hand offend thee, he said, cut it off. He says, it's better to, for thee to enter into life main than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Listen, where the worm dieth not, he says, and the fire is not quenched. Right. And it goes like that throughout the scriptures. Uh, of course, you go over into Revelation chapter 21. The Bible says there that the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they, and, and, and they were judged every man according to the works, right? Uh, that's going to be, they're going to be given up the dead at that time. So hell is an actual place. Now, by the way, hell is not the final place. Because one day, the death of hell is going to deliver up the dead. And then the Bible says in the next verse in Revelation chapter 21, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And so I believe me, sinner, death, or excuse me, hell is an actual place. Now, let me read my text tonight, uh, if I can, just a portion of it, to remind you what's going on again in this text. But the Bible a certain, verse number 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his wounds. And it came to pass 
died and was carried uh, by the angels. That does something to me. Carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Uh, and the rich man also died and was buried. And listen, and in hell lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Let me tell you, there's not going to be any mercy at all in hell. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for he says, I am tormented in these, in these flames. Now, let me go ahead and just for sake of time, Quit my scripture reading right there. You know this account well, and just to remind you of the gist of it. Now, again, we we quoted Mr. Spurgeon last night. I, I think we need to hear it a lot. I think it ought to do something to us as believers. Mr. Spurgeon said one time, he said that the sinners be damned. He said at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. If, if they perish, let them perish with their arms, excuse me, wrapped about their knees, and implored them to stay. If hell must be filled, he said, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertion, and let no man go unwarned or unprayed for. You think about it. Do you have loved ones that are lost? Do you have a husband or do you have a wife? Uh, do you have some children that are lost? I'm telling you, that ought to do something to you. It's real to me, folks. It's real. I, I thought about this. Uh, when people are, are confronted with the reality of hell, they will usually react in one of three ways. First, they'll try to rationalize it. You know, out of existence. And I want to tell you, it is astounding what direction your rational mind, your natural mind will take you. Listen to me, your natural way of thinking, your natural mind is an enemy of Almighty God. And so they try to rationalize this. They get to the place, well, end up where God is not real, the devil is not real, hell is not real. Well, listen, rationalize it all you want. I still say, let God be true and let every man be alive. Rationalize hell out of existence. Right. So they'll try to rationalize it and then they'll try to ridicule it. They love poking fun at it. I'll see you in hell, you know, as they flippantly and casually say foolish things like that. They, 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 they start ridiculing the very idea of hell. Charles Darwin the fool, the evolutionist that he was. He was very fond of saying that hell is a foolish doctrine, a foolish teaching. Well, I'm going to tell you, Charles Darwin, he was the fool. You can rationalize it. You can ridicule it all you want. I still say let God be true. Let every man be a liar. Hell is still real. So they'll try to rationalize it. They'll, they'll try to ridicule it. And then, when all else fails, they may try religion. You know. And, and religion. Some people have got just enough religion to be miserable. You ever seen somebody like that? And modern religion is a farce. 
Modern religion, you don't hear nothing like this in modern churches. You know, modern religion says God is love. God will never cast anybody into hell. Christian science says hell is an error of the mortal mind. Mormons say that everybody will eventually make it into heaven. Jehovah's Witness says the wicked are just annihilated. You know, that's what modern religion says. But you try religion all you want. Folks, ever will not help. And I still say, let God be true. Let every man be a liar, folks. Hell is an actual place. Right. Are you with me? Amen. Number two, now that's number one. <laughs> Out of here before 10 o'clock. Number two, hell is also an agonizing place. Right. In other words, listen to me. It is a place of unimaginable torment. Sure is. Now we can, we can stand here and speak for hours perhaps on what is in hell. I mean the Bible describes hell in such a, an horrific way. Believe me sinner, it's not a place you want to go to. It's not a place to be so flippant about. It describes in some horror, for, for, for example, hell is a place of unquenchable fire. You know. Somebody says, well, how can you be on fire? And by the way, it is an eternal fire. Right. Somebody says, well, how can you be on fire and not be burned up? It ain't no problem with God. Right. How can you be on fire and not be consumed? Have you forgotten about the burning bush? <laughs> Have you forgotten about the three Hebrew children? I, I love I love that, by the way. We'll never connect with the little boys in that furnace and and he looked in there and he said, wait a minute, did I, did I not throw three of them in there? But the, I see four and they're loose and walking about. They have no hurt. And one of them is like the Son of God. <laughs> one of them was the Son of God. He said. And they come out and they had no hurt. Their clothes were not burned. Their hair was not singed. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. It ain't no problem with God. It is a place of unquenchable fire. See. But when you talk all night about what is in hell, when I I chose this test because it tells us a lot about what is not in hell. Right. And listen to me, what is not in hell ought to frighten you just as much as what is in hell. Amen. You see. Number one, I can tell you this, there is no light in hell. In fact, you know what it's called? It's called outer darkness. You say, wait a minute. See how a rational mind thinks? How can it be absolute darkness and yet be fire? It ain't no problem with God. I just tell us that at the very heart of a flame, it is actually pitch black. Isn't that interesting? But I'll tell you, there is no light in hell whatsoever. These foolish people say, I'll see you in hell. No, you won't. Because you will, you will be tormented in absolute obscure darkness. You will see no one else. Of that I'm confident. Now, 
Think about the significance of that for a moment. You know what he said of Christ in the Bible? The Bible, Bible says that in him uh, was light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You're going to be an act. There's not going to be any light. Now just try to imagine. Now try to imagine, if you can, what that would be like. To be in absolute darkness and yet still remember the comfort and the safety of the light. I, I was I was I was a scaredy cat uh, when I was a kid, and I lay there and imagined all kinds of things at night. But I could turn on that light, buddy, and I'd, I'd be fine. I don't know why boogeymen don't bother you when the lights on, but they just—they did. Can you imagine? Just think about this: to be in darkness, say for a thousand years, and to know you've only just begun, and remember the comfort and the safety of the light, but you be in absolute darkness. And you made a light in him. I, I worked at coal mines for three years before I started Bible college. Everybody in my family worked at coal mines. This is what we did. And I worked low coal. I had to crawl around about 34, 36 inch seam. Tell my, well, so my hands were crooked. Everybody laughs at my hand, but rock crushed them one time. Uh, but I, I used to, the first job they give you in the coal mines at that time, was to put you on what's called the tailpiece. The tailpiece is where the beltway ends inside. And so when the miner mines the coal and the buggy men come down and shove the coal out on the tailpiece, they're trying to haul all the coal as quickly as they can. They're shoving that coal out faster than the belt is moving. And so you know what happens? You get all this spilling. I shoveled coal eight hours a day with a number nine coal shovel. Uh, I used to be pretty good shape. Now I'm all flabbed. You know, but uh, but part of my job was once a week I had to crawl the belt line all the way outside on this side to check for rock falls and then crawl back in on the other side. It took me eight hours. If you move pretty good. I was about a mile and a half back underground. And so a couple of times I got down that belt line and my light goes out. Now, you know when the Bible, when the Bible talks about darkness in Egypt that could be felt? I know what that's like. They teach you, if that happens, don't move. Feel around for the rib, the wall of mine, we call it the rib. Find you a spot on that rib and sit back against that rib and just sit there. And somebody will eventually find you. They'll miss you and come looking for you. Now, boys, the first time that happened to me, and then we have rats about that long that will crawl over your legs, it's, it's a trip. Do you know what? That ain't nothing, sinners. When you'll be in absolute obscure darkness for eternity, you'll be there for thousands and thousands of years, and you still have only just begun. Right. Not be like that. The second thing I thought about: there's not going to be any laughter in hell. The Bible says here in verse twenty-three, He lifted up His eyes. Uh, verse 24, he cried 
and have mercy on me. Send Lazarus and he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For he said, I am tormented in these flames. You think it sounds like he's having a good time? These foolish people get the idea that hell's just going to be one big old party. You're going to continue your wicked lifestyle even in hell. No, you will not. Not going to be any laugh in hell whatsoever. Uh, Jesus, uh, the scripture says this, Matthew chapter 8, verse number 12, cast into outer darkness and gnashing of teeth. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, then said the key to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him in outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelation chapter 14, verse number 11, and the smoke of her torment ascendeth up forever and ever. It goes like that, folks. Hell is no laughing matter. Sir Francis Newport was the head of an infidel club. It was fashionable back then uh, to be call yourself an infidel, an atheist, or agnostic. He was the head of an infidel club on his deathbed. He cried out, You need not tell me there is no hell, for I already feel my. No frightening thought. He cried out, Wretches, cease your idle talk about there being hope for me, for I. Not going to be any light in hell. Not going to be any laughter in hell. I can tell you, thirdly, there's not going to be any lenience of liberty in hell either. Sure ain't. Uh, verse 26 says, and besides all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. Think about this. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. One preacher said, there ain't no exit signs in hell. Right. That's right. There is no liberty. Now, listen, I, good news I got for you folks. Listen to me. Jesus Christ can set you free. Isn't that glorious? Yeah. And if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Yeah. But ain't be no liberty. You're not going to be set free from hell. At all. Frightening, frightening thought. Not going to be any light. Not going to be any liberty at all. Not going to be any laughter. Last thing, there's not going to be any leniency in hell. Verse 25, Bible says, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. And now he's comforted. And he says, You're a tormented. You know what? He's being tormented right now. One of these days, you're going to get exactly what you've got coming to you. Sure are. Now, at that time, folks, there's not going to be any mercy, not going to be any grace, not going to be any comfort, only going to be torment. Let me tell you something. Right now, God... God is a loving God. I like to say that. God is benevolent to all of his creatures, isn't he? He's benevolent. His benevolence goes to all. To all. I, I admit that. 
In love, he provided for us a Savior. In love, he died for my sins. In love, he calls me unto himself. In love, he saves me. Let me tell you, there's coming a day when all of that stops. Not going to be, not going to be in grace, not going to be in mercy, not going to be in peace, not going to be in love. Only going to be torment. On one occasion, a, the agnostic or atheistic speaker, but I mentioned him last night, Robert Ingersoll, announced that he was going to give a lecture on hell and prove conclusively, conclu- conclusively excuse me, that, that hell uh, was invented by religious minds to scare people, you know. And as he got up to give his lecture, an old drunk stood up in the audience and he said, Make it strong, Bob, because a lot of us poor fellows are dependent on you. If you're wrong, we're all lost. So prove it plain and true. Ingersoll was a fool. Hell's a real place. It is an actual place. It is an agonizing place. Lastly, I can, I'm glad to tell you, hell is an avoidable, avoidable place. You don't have to go there. You can escape. You can flee from the wrath to come. Sure can. As I mentioned last night, Jesus said to Nicodemus, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. I'm glad to tell you there came a day when God saved my soul. And he that believeth not is condemned already. Hell's waiting to meet you. Sure is. I don't see how you can sit there time after time as a lot. Folks, we're not playing games. Hell and destruction are never full. Hell hath enlarged herself and openeth her mouth wide. And hell is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. Hell is waiting to meet you. Tonight would be a good night. It would be a great night for you to finally just give up. I'm just talking plain to you. Quit trying to figure this thing out with your rational mind. It don't work. Quit trying to be saved. Just surrender. Say, Lord, I give up. I'm telling you, if you continue down the path you're on, maybe sooner than you think, hell's waiting to meet you. Brother, I quit. I'm done. I done messed all this up.